1: And by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to
0: Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. We are approaching, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, another fasting period. Yep, another penitential period. This one begins August 1st. It's just two weeks. And it is a preparation for the great feast of the Dormition of the Mother of God. Or, as we might say in the Latin rite, the Assumption of the Mother of God. So, once again, a great feast is prepared for by... Prayer and fasting, in other words, penance. Cleaning house. And speaking of cleaning house, we've been talking about the Eucharist from the Eastern Christian perspective and how the emphasis is similar, but yet different in some regards between East and West. Of course, we all believe the same thing. It is truly the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, the real presence, of course. And we treat it in both lungs of the church, East and West, with the greatest of reverence. But there are different emphasis in our approach to the Eucharist. But speaking of cleaning house and approaches the Eucharist, one of the things that is very characteristic in the Eastern churches is a very strong sense of, in fact, our personal preparation for the Eucharist, for receiving Holy Communion. It used to be, and this was the case in the Western church as well, it used to be that we would fast from, at least from midnight And actually, if you want to look at it a little more honestly with the Eastern churches, you would fast really from the time of the setting of the sun, in other words, after the Vesper service. And you would fast all the way through, and you would have a little snack in between in the middle of the night. This is sometimes referred to as the litia, or litia. And oftentimes this was done and practiced in monasteries, and part of that custom does carry over in various ways into parishes. But it used to be you would fast throughout the night, not just for midnight, but throughout the night, from the setting of sun the night before, all the way through the night, with a little snack in between to get you through the night, because what you were doing, you were keeping vigil. This was especially the case on vigils for holy days and feast days. But you would keep a fast all the way through the night, and the first food that would enter your body, first bit of nourishment, ideally would be the body and blood of Christ. That was the purpose for the fasting whether it was for midnight or even earlier, but it was to cleanse ourselves, to open ourselves, to receive what is, of course, the most important food that we can possibly take into our body. It's really beyond food. It's nourishment. What could be better than the body and blood of Christ? So we prepare ourselves to receive, to become that temple, that living tabernacle, actually, for the body and blood of Christ. So first of all, in the Eastern Church, we have, as our preparation for Holy Communion, a fasting, an opening up, of divesting ourselves of anything that we might call profane food. Not that food is profane, but it means it's less than the most sacred food. Nothing can be more sacred in terms of nourishment than the body and blood of Christ, of course. But we refrain from all so-called profane foods to open ourselves for the first and most important food or nourishment. Now, also, it used to be that confession was highly recommended for everyone before they would receive Holy Communion. In other words, was never officially a requirement of the church, although sometimes it was taught as such or it, it was understood as such. But it was highly urged. And certainly, it's still a really great idea to go to confession prior to receiving Holy Communion. However, it's not absolutely necessary. But it was part of that cleansing, that part of that preparation, along with the fasting and the evening prayers of the church and the nighttime prayers, Along with confession then came other preparatory prayers as well. Once we come to church to celebrate the Eucharist so, so that we would receive the body and blood of Christ, we continue to prepare ourselves. And notice there's this sort of rising action in the climactic moment during the liturgy when we actually receive the body and blood of Christ. And then afterwards, there is that kind of, I call it sort of a falling action or kind of the, the moving outward from the climactic moment. And we talked about that in our previous programs with the beautiful prayers that are said after Holy Communion in the Byzantine Church, where there are also very meaningful prayers that lead up to a reception of Eucharist, which are highly recommended for worshippers to say prior to the liturgy. You see, I call it putting on your liturgical game face, and this really should start along with the fasting, in other words, the night before. Yeah, Saturday night really shouldn't be party night, you know, stay up all night, or come to church with a hangover, or maybe don't come to church because you are hungover, or just feeling a little bit, you know, kind of, not quite right. That's not how we should approach Eucharist. Eucharist should be approached by kind of getting on a liturgical game face. I like to call it. In other words, moving into it, already opening ourselves up to what we're about to receive, the sacred, the summit that we're going to mount at the divine liturgy the next morning. So, as we enter then the church itself, prior to liturgy, hopefully, In that church, in that parish, the matins is being prayed, which is the official morning prayer of the church. And in the Eastern churches, the divine office is designed to be prayed liturgically. In other words, as a community, out loud with chanting and so on. But it can also be prayed privately, of course. But there ought to be in Eastern churches the matins service going on prior to liturgy. And then in between that, there should be like a little quiet time, a little transitional time between matins and liturgy. At least I like to do that as a pastor at my parish of Annunciation, Homer Glen, Illinois. But there are also then prayers of preparation on a a very personal basis that the worshipers can then pray prior to the beginning of liturgy. Now, proud to say some of these beautiful prayers are in fact contained in the pew book of the Byzantine Catholic Metropolitan Church of Pittsburgh, which means my church, the Byzantine Catholic Ruthenian Church of America, which is composed of four eparchies or four dioceses, But it's a metropolitan church, so we sometimes call it the Metropolia. In this book, the Pew book, there are beautiful prayers of preparation. And I'm going to share some of those with you so you get the sense of just how serious the Eastern churches are in this rhythm of life, this rhythm of the Eucharist, this movement in, towards something, kind of a rising action, climactic moment, and then kind of a moving out of it. It's like a, think of it as a bell curve. This is a prayer by our Holy Father Simeon, the new theologian. From defiled lips and from a vile heart, an unclean tongue and a polluted soul, receive this prayer, O Christ. Reject not my words, nor my demeanor, nor my persistence. Allow me, my Christ, to speak boldly of my own desires. Moreover, teach me what you want me to do and say. I have sinned more than the woman in the city who, knowing where you dined, O Christ my master and God, bought ointment and dared to anoint your feet. As you did not reject her, whose heart led her to you, do not despise me, O word, but allow me also to clasp and embrace your feet and anoint them with a flood of tears as with a precious ointment. Wash and purify me with your tears, O word. Forgive my trespasses and grant me pardon. You know the multitude of my evil doings. You know my wounds and my sores, but you also know my faith. You know what I intend to do, and you hear my sighing. No tear is hidden from you, O God, my maker and deliverer. Your eyes behold that which I have not yet done, for in your book is written that which is not yet come to pass. Consider my lowliness, look upon my affliction and pain. Forgive my every sin, O God, of all that, with a pure heart, a fearful mind, a contrite spirit, I may partake of your undefiled and most holy mysteries that bring divine life to all who eat and drink with a pure heart. For you said, O Master, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. True in every way is the Word of my Lord and God, partaking of deifying grace, I am no longer alone, but with you, my Christ, the light of the world. Do not allow me to live apart from you, O giver of life, who are my breath, my life, my joy, and the salvation of the world. Therefore, I draw near, and you see my tears and my contrite soul. I beseech your delivery from my sins, and grant me to partake without condemnation of your pure and life-creating mysteries that according to your word, you may remain in me as wretched as I am. For I am found fallen from your grace. The tempter may deceive me and entice me from deifying precepts. For this reason, bound of the Lord, I fall down before you and earnestly cry to you. As you accepted the prodigal son and the woman in the city which he came to, so also receive me, prodigal and vile as I am. Now, turning to you with contrition, O Savior, I know that no one has sinned against you as I have nor done the things I have done. Yet I know, too, that neither the magnitude of the transgressions nor the multitude of the sins surpasses the long-suffering patience of my God and His exceeding love for us. In your merciful compassion, you cleanse and raise up those who earnestly repent, and you make them partakers of the light of your divine nature. Strange as it may seem to angels in human reason, you speak to us as if we were true friends. Inspire with boldness, confident of your rich mercy, O Christ, and with rejoicing and trembling. I, who am like grass, partake of fire, and amazingly I am refreshed. Like the burning bush of old, I am not consumed. Filled with gratitude, I worship, glorify, and magnify you, my God. For you are blessed now and ever and forever. Amen. Well, you can see, it's quite a prayer, quite a lengthy prayer. Lots and lots of words. We're going to explain what's behind all the words in this even one singular prayer preparing us to receive the body and blood of Christ before the divine liturgy i'm father thomas loya on light of the east
1: light of the east mission is christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the eastern lung of the catholic church we need your support in order to keep light of the east on the air you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep light of the East's illumination bright.
0: I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm inviting you to Prairie Fest
1: 2013. You'll find food, fun, games, plus three days of nonstop live music. Prairie Fest, Friday through Sunday, August 9th through the 11th. Friday night, August 9th, it's Maggie Speaks. Then Saturday, August 10th, at one o'clock, a Battle of the Bands. Then at five, the Rhythm Method. At 7:30. Very Fest welcomes the legendary Amadar Rush. Then, Sunday morning, August 11th at 11, Polka with the world-famous Eddie Carosa Jr., followed by the Polka Generations Band, and then Harvest Moon. Prairie Fest is located at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Visit ByzantineCatholic.com, ByzantineCatholic.com. for details and directions to Prairie Fest, Friday through Sunday, August 9th through the 11th. You're listening to... Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
0: Welcome back to Light of the East, I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. As we continue to look at the seriousness, the, the grandeur of the preparation in Eastern churches for receiving the body and blood of Christ, especially through the prayers and also, of course, through the fasting, the observance of fasting, I want to, first of all, draw your attention to a couple of events, one of which I will be, and humbled to have been asked to, give the keynote address. And this is at the Catholic Psychotherapy Association Conference, and this is happening Thursday to Saturday, November 7th to the 9th, 2013. For those of you who are in counseling or in any way helping profession, maybe you are psychologist, doctor, psychiatrist, but it's open to anybody, and I will be giving the keynote address, as I mentioned. It's called Restoring the Beauty of the Human Person, Psychological Healing Through the Light of Christ, November 7th to the 9th, that's Thursday to Saturday, 2013, at the... Dallas Fort Worth Airport, Marriott South in Fort Worth, Texas. Find out more information. And also to register online, go to catholicpsychotherapy.org. Catholicpsychotherapy.org. Now I put this information out to you, not as a just as an advertisement, but because this is another way in which we can actually apply our spirituality in a kind of a Psycho spiritual way. I always like to use those words together psycho spiritual. Because again, we look at the human person in a very integrated way body, soul, mind, spirit, everything together. This conference will offer a lot of insight into that because, of course, it is the Catholic Psychotherapy Association. So it's not just psychotherapy. Catholic is the key word there. It's a particular perspective of healing that is actually more total, more authentic, more effective, more transformative. So Give it some thought. Maybe I'll see you there, CatholicPsychotherapy.org. That's November 7th to the 9th. And speaking of integration, the approach to Eucharist is very integrated in the Eastern churches because it involves this very serious, slow buildup of prayer, of fasting, moving towards the climactic moment and then even prayers afterwards to kind of move out of it. Very, very human rhythm, basic rhythm of life, but a very appropriate one for the Eucharist. You know, you just don't rush into things. We know how that is. Anything worthwhile takes a lot of preparation. That's very much a part of the whole thing, the preparation time, the buildup. Then there's the moment itself, then there's the aftermath. So it's a basic rhythm of life that is incorporated even in the genius of liturgy. That's part of the genius of the church, especially the Eastern churches. We, we're very much in touch with that the kind of basic fundamental rhythm of life, of what it is to be fundamentally human, and therefore also how God's order of creation works fundamentally in these fundamental rhythms. Now, we had read a prayer from seemingly new theologian, a long, lengthy prayer, that is a preparatory prayer for receiving Holy Communion. Worshippers are invited to say that prayer, and there's actually a number of them in the Pew book, you know, the book that the worshipers use in the byzantine Ruthenian Church in America. And... There was a lot of words to that prayer. It was rather long. You probably were thinking to yourself, my goodness, how would I have time to say all that prayer? Well, very characteristic of the Eastern spirituality is it's almost like we're tripping and fumbling to find yet another word, another way, another phrase, another analogy or metaphor or symbol to express what it is we are experiencing with God, that God is so great, so beyond us, so marvelous, that we we just can't find enough words, like tripping over ourselves, trying to find words that are adequate. It's as if we, we have some words, but gosh, that wasn't enough. Let's get some more. No, that's not enough either. Let's get even more because God is so great. He's always beyond us, always, always worthy of so much more. Naturally, there's a limit to everything on this side of eternity. But at the same time, there's a kind of a almost endless eternal dimension to the prayers in the Eastern churches. That's why sometimes we're known to have services that are longer. It's not always the case. They're not always longer than the Latin rite, but most of the time they are. Prayers are usually very lengthy, and that's why. not because we're trying to keep people in church too long. It's because we're trying to find and try yet another way to somehow, maybe, adequately even though that's presumptuous, adequately give God his due to describe this greatness of God. And also, if you notice on the prayer, to, in contrast, to accurately articulate, honestly articulate our own unworthiness. Some very strong language in our prayers about our own unworthiness. In fact, we quote from the epistle to Timothy in our communion prayer, what we call ourselves the first among sinners. That's right. We say sinners of whom I am the first. Each person says that. That's pretty weighty. Sometimes some people say to themselves, well, gee, I don't think I'm the greatest sinner. Why should I say that? Well, actually, when you think about it, since we can't judge other people, not the way that only God can judge, we only know, really, if you want to be honest about it, we only really know our own sins. So as far as we know, we're the only sinners on earth if you really, really want to get down to it. Now, we might look at things objectively and say, well, that person did this or that. That's bad, and I didn't do that. But what is their culpability, actually? What's in their heart? How do we judge them as a sinner? Only God can do that. The only person we can judge as a sinner, basically, is ourselves. And that's why we use that quote, and it is from Scripture. St. Paul himself said it in his epistle to Timothy. So we have a great deal of words used to praise God and also to describe our own unworthiness before God. Now, this is not a psychological downer. This is actually a way of being very, very honest, of placing ourselves in a posture of absolute honesty and correctness before so awesome a God. It's not beating ourselves down or doing something kind of perverse about ourselves, giving ourselves a bad image or something like that. It's actually just being very, very honest honest before this awesome God. Now, of course, the ultimate preparation for confession, as we touched on earlier, is confession. And as I said before, no, we don't have to go to confession every time you receive Eucharist. It was something that was urged in the church over centuries. It was never absolutely demanded. And oftentimes, there's a question in people's minds is, when when do we go to confession? How often should I go to confession? They often ask me. Well, I don't like to even speak in terms of minimum when it comes to God. But if you want the absolute minimum, it would be once a year during Lent. Now, that should only make sense to you. But beyond that, and sort of extending out from that, are the penitential periods of the church. Down in the Eastern Church, of course, there are four great penitential periods. It used to be that way in the Latin Rite. It's changed a bit, but of course, the Latin Rite does still have Advent and Lent as penitential periods. And in the Eastern churches, we have four major penitential periods. We're entering one already on August 1st, as I mentioned earlier, in preparation for the Feast of the Dormition, or the Assumption of the Mother of God. But during those preparatory times, those times of penance, it's highly advised to participate in the sacrament of confession. If you want a rule of thumb, that's the one I usually give. Now, beyond that, once a month is a good rule, or whenever needed. You hear many stories, I don't know if it's absolutely true, but I hear many credible stories that the popes that we've had in recent times suppose they go to confession every day or every week. And those are popes, two of which are going to be canonized saints, Pope John XXIII and Pope John Paul II. So that can give you a little bit of reference <laughs> if they're going to confession that often, what about us? Now, we're not suggesting some kind of scrupulosity. where you go to confession every single day or several times a day, or or absolutely every time receive Eucharist, because Eucharist is, and this is emphasized in the Eastern Church, Eucharist is in part the forgiveness of sins. It's kind of like you know how the sun can burn certain things out, like like certain uh, fade certain colors or or just kind of cleanse things by its sheer power, its brightness? Well, Eucharist is something like that. By the very presence of God, we bring into our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our soul, this healing, burning, cleansing presence. And so there is a dimension of forgiveness of sins just by receiving the body and blood of Christ. Now, in the case of more serious sins or ongoing sins, of course, it's necessary to go to confession, because what's happening is we're sort of blocking out the fullness of the graces of Eucharist if we have serious matters to confess. So confession, four times a year during the penitential periods, at least once a year, rock bottom, and beyond that, other kinds of standards, once a month or whatever needed. Sometimes a person may need to be going to confession very often. Maybe they're working on a particular spiritual, psycho-spiritual. Notice I use those two terms together. A kind of a Psychospiritual problem or particular challenge of life that maybe needs or can be helped therapeutically by frequent confession. That's okay too. So we're neither lax nor are we scrupulous about confession. Now, again, as always, there's going to be the same belief but complementary ways in which to approach that one same belief. And so it is with the sacrament of confession or the sacrament of reconciliation between the Eastern and Western lungs of the church. Again, we have time of preparation. Yes, examination of conscience, which is common to East and West, but also, again, prayers. Now, here is a prayer that is used, or can be used, prior to receiving the sacrament of confession. This is a prayer of seemingly contemplative Behold, O Christ God, I now stand before you in the presence of your holy angels, as if I were standing before your fearful and just judgment seat, awaiting your sentence and rendering an account of all my evil deeds. Behold, I bow my head, lay before you my sins and my wickedness. I confess them, reveal them. O Lord, look down upon my humble condition and forgive me all my transgressions. Behold, O Lord, my offenses exceed the numbers of the hairs on my head. What evil have I not done? What sin have I not committed? What wickedness have I not imagined within my soul? Have I not sinned through pride, vainglory, slander, idle speech, unkind laughter, intemperance, hatred, envy, selfishness, ambition, and falsehood? Have I not stained all my senses and defiled all my members? Have I not been a slave to Satan? Lord, I know well that my iniquities are so deep that they have reached over my head. But I also know that the greatness of your compassion is immeasurable. Now, there's more to this prayer, and as you can see, it's very lengthy, as usual, but very meaningful. So we'll pick up this prayer next time. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya
1: on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright.
0: Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, ByzantineCatholic.com where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's Reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, one four six one zero. Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years.